along in our study, the grand scheme of things. It's funny how much ground we've covered and then at the same time how little ground we've covered at the same time. Uh, we've talked about Adam and Eve. We talked about the promise of a Savior uh, right at the start of the book of Genesis. Uh, we've talked about Noah. We've talked about Abraham and Sarah. Uh, a promised land, a promised blessing coming through Abraham. The promise of our, of our Savior coming through these people. Uh, we've talked about Isaac and Jacob, uh, his name becoming Israel, his 12 sons after that. Uh, all the stuff and the side stories that go with that. Huge amount of information also covered in a very short time. Well, we're going to add to that tonight. Tonight we move to the account of Joseph. Now, Joseph, uh, there's people that when you study Scripture that it seems like uh, you like those people. Well, Joseph is one of those people for me. I think he's one of the most remarkable people in Scripture. We see his faithfulness. We see his righteousness. We see a lot of hard things go on. And so to me, he's one of the more remarkable people in Scripture. Well, as you notice in the book of Genesis, there's a whole bunch of information on Joseph. And so we're actually going to spend three weeks. We won't go this in depth with some of the folks that we're going to pass over, but we're going to spend three weeks looking at the life of Joseph. Hopefully we'll be experts on him when we get ready to move on. Tonight in our verses, we're going to look at chapter 37. We're going to skip chapter 38. If you go home and read that tonight, you might figure out why. And then we're going to look at chapter 39 on top of that. So tonight, chapter 37, and then chapter 39 uh, after that. The key point tonight, God's wisdom is perfect, and His plans follow accordingly. Now, I want you to listen to this. God's wisdom is perfect, and His plans follow accordingly. He knows all things. He knows what needs to happen. He knows what's perfect Knowing God, we can trust even when we can't understand. Now, that was written a few weeks ago, but I think how, um, how that ties in today for the things happening in our world today, especially today. Think about the events of the last couple of days, especially of yesterday, and, and then you start to think about the question, what is God doing? What is God doing in this event? What could he have done in this event? Why did these things happen? Can we say, are we able to say, well, this is what God's doing? I hear folks saying it all day long. Well, God did this, or this was an act of that. Can we actually say, um, are there times we do not know what God is doing? And it's just hard to understand. And then what do we do when something is hard for us to understand? Those are huge questions. Those are big questions. We're going to see some of that tonight. We're going to see how that applies really to today. And so the, the, the thing we do know and that we're going to have reinforced in our study is that we can trust God. What if you don't understand? Well, you can trust God. What if you don't like it? You can trust God. And so we're going to see that, and it's going to unfold in this lesson the next couple of weeks ahead of that. So very relevant, very timely. What is God doing? Can we trust God? Uh, what about when we do not understand? All right, tonight... The best way to do this is just to start in the chapter and work our way through it. So that's what we're going to do tonight. We're going to start in chapter 37, and I'm just going to work our way through the verses. So 37, verse 1. Now Jacob lived in the land where his father had sojourned, in the land of Canaan. Uh, verse 30, chapter 37, verse 1, uh, he's made it back to the land of Canaan. 
It's been a long trip, been a long process to get back there, but they're back in the promised land. They've made it back, all right? Verse 2, these are the records of the generations of Jacob. Joseph, when 17 years of age, was pasturing the flock with his brothers while he was still a youth, along with the sons of Bila and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought back a bad report about them to his father. Okay, so they're back. He is out shepherding the sheep, pastoring the sheep. Uh, he brings back a bad report. We're not sure what that bad report is. That's what the Bible says. All right, verse 3. Now Israel loved Joseph. Jacob, Israel, loved Joseph more than all his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a very colored tunic. He made him a very colored tunic. All right, verse 3 tells us that he was, Joseph was a favorite son, that Jacob had a favorite son. Uh, think about that for a second. We're not sure why he's the favorite son. Uh, his mother is, is Rachel, the favorite wife, and so maybe that's why he's the favorite son. It says because he was older in his years. And I thought about that. Why is he the favorite son? You ever notice, folks, and I think this might be true, um, you ever notice, folks, and they have a couple of kids and then maybe they have a, a kid 10 years later or seven years later or the tail end of the kids. You ever notice that last kid seems to get a pass that the earlier kids didn't get? And you know what? Who cares when they come in? They'll come in. The, the first kid, man, they had strict rules, but by the time you get to the end, it seems like this kid gets a pass. And that's our favorite kid. That's the baby. That's the one we love. And that's how we treat that kid. Well, it says this Son is from his latter years, and so he's, he's his favorite son. It says he makes him a very colored, multicolored tunic. Um, I think that's funny because Darlie Parton renamed it later a coat of many colors, uh, but it says a very colored, multicolored tunic. It was a sign of his love. It was a sign of his favoritism. He makes this special coat, gives this special coat to his son. All right, verse 4. His brothers saw that his father loved him more than all his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. His brothers saw that their father loved him more than all of his brothers. And so they hated him and could not speak to him on friendly terms. Now, when I read verse 4, I start to think about this. That seems kind of crazy. This family... Now, these are God's chosen people. They're going to be and grow into God's chosen nation. Uh, these are the people that are going to produce the family that's going to produce the lineage of the Messiah. Now, think about this family. The father has a favorite. The other sons are jealous. It says they actually hate him, and they can't speak to him on friendly terms. Now, when I read that, I think, well, this is the family that's going to produce Jesus that sounds crazy. What a crazy family that is. Until I start to read that list again, there's jealousy, there's favoritism. Some of them can't speak to some of the other ones. It actually sounds normal. It actually sounds like a lot of our families. Somebody's not talking to somebody. Somebody's up with somebody else. Somebody's jealous over them. They have a favorite. And so I think about it. These are the problems of people. These are the issues of people. They're being rude and they're not talking. They're upset. 
And so it's not, I think, well, this is a crazy family. This is actually just a family. And so guess what? Out of the family is going to come this lineage. Verse 5, then Joseph had a dream, and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. Verse 6, he said to them, please listen to the dream which I have had. Verse 7, for behold, we were binding sheaves in the field, and lo, my sheaf rose up and stood erect. And behold, your sheaves gathered around and bowed down to my sheaf. Verse 8, then his brothers said to him, are you actually going to reign over us? Or are you going to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and for his words. Now he had still another dream and related it to his brothers and said, Lo, I've had still another dream. And behold, the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. He related it to his father. He told it to his father and to his brothers. And his father rebuked him and said to him, What is this dream that you have had? Shall I and your mother and your brothers actually come to bow ourselves down before you to the ground? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the saying in mind. Notice here, I think about that. He has a dream, he tells his brothers. He has a dream, he tells his brothers and his dad as well. Now, when I read through those verses, notice here, Joseph has really done nothing wrong. He's really done nothing wrong. He's 17 years old. He had a dream. He told his brothers the dream. He had a dream. He tells his family, his dad, the dream. Now, I thought about that for a second. In my years, I have heard sermons and Bible studies talk about the arrogance of Joseph. He was prideful, and he couldn't wait to tell them his dream, and he made them feel bad, and he was boasting in his, in his dream. I actually have heard sermons about that. Maybe you have as well. And so I think, well, what a rude guy to go tell his brothers that. But when you read the account, I really see nothing that he does wrong. He has a dream. The dream is the dream. We're going to see it actually proves true. And he tells his family about it. And so you know what? He has a dream. He relates it to his family. Um, I can't see anything that he actually does wrong. Verse 12, verse 11, but his father kept the saying in mind. His, brother, his father kept thinking about it. Verse 12, then his brothers went to pasture their flock in Shechem. Israel said to Joseph, are not your brothers pasturing the flock in Shechem? Come, and I will send you to them. And he said to him, I will go. Now, I think it's interesting there. It's kind of a telling thing about the character of Joseph. Hey, your brothers hate you. Your brothers are jealous of you. It is clear. Hey, I'm sending you to your brothers. What does he say? I will go. He doesn't say, no, let somebody else go see them. Let one of the servants go find them. He says, I will go. He is obedient. Then he said to him, go now and see about the welfare of your brothers and the welfare of the flock and bring word back to me. So he sent him from the valley of Hebron and he came to Shechem. Verse 15, a man found him, and behold, he was wandering in the field. And the man asked him, what are you looking for? Verse 16, he said, I'm looking for my brothers. Please tell me where they are pasturing the flock. He goes to where his dad says go. When he gets there, he can't find his brothers. He's looking around. A guy says, what are you looking for? The guy starts to tell him. The man said, verse 17, they have moved from here. 
for I have heard them say, let us go to Dothan. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them at Dothan. Let me read verse 18. When they saw him from a distance, and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Okay, his dad sends him. He's obedient. He goes. In, in verse 18, it says, before he got there, they were plotting to kill him. So it's not a new episode. It's not something new that, that stirs up their anger. As they see him coming, before he gets there, they're plotting to kill him. When they saw him from a distance and before he came close to them, they plotted against him to put him to death. Verse 19, they said to one another, here comes this dreamer. I, I want to just, just think about something right here for a second, and it's really just kind of a side thing. But think about hate. And think about what causes people to hate. And so I don't, I don't know if you'd say, there's a person I hate, or maybe there's been a time in your life, or maybe you've been around others and they say, I hate this person. But think about that for a second. A person that you actually hate, what causes you to hate that person? And I was thinking, well, they could have injured you. They could have done something to you. But I, I want you to think honestly how many times jealousy is tied to it. They have something I want. They got something I deserve. And, and, you, and, you, and you see something or you're, you're jealous of their position. You're jealous of their status. You're jealous of something. And I wonder how many times hatred between, between people goes back to the issue of jealousy. You know what? I can't see where he did anything wrong. They're jealous, and their jealousy has, has, has brewed into hatred. They said to one another, verse 19, here comes this dreamer, verse 20. Now then, come and let us kill him, man, and throw him into one of the pits, and we will say a wild beast devoured him. Then let us see what will become of his dreams. Verse 21. But Reuben heard this and rescued him out of their hands and said, let us not take his life. Verse 22, Reuben further said to them, shed no blood, throw him into this pit that is in the wilderness, but do not lay hands on him that he might rescue him out of their hands to restore him to his father. Now, Reuben's plan, when you read the account, Reuben's plan is actually to save him, and it says to return him to his father. And so he says, hey, let's not kill him. Let's not shed his blood. Let's put him in the pit. Now, in his mind, he's saying, I'll come back to the pit, and I'll pull him out of the pit, and I'll deliver him to our father. His plan is actually to save him. Verse 23, so it came about. When Joseph reached his brothers, he gets there, that they stripped Joseph of his tunic, the very colored tunic that was on him. Verse 24, and they took him and threw him into the pit. Now the pit was empty without any water in it. Verse 25, then they sat down to eat a meal. And as they raised their eyes and looked, behold, a caravan of Ishmaelites was coming from Gilead with their camels bearing aromatic gum and balm and myrrh on their way to bring them down to Egypt. Verse 26, Judah said to his brothers, what profit is it for us to kill our brother 
and cover up his blood. Now, I want you to notice something. Reuben says, put him in the pit, but he's actually planning to come back and save him. Notice Judah here. They, they decide to sit down. He's in the pit, and they're eating. Judah seems to be the ringleader of the whole thing. He, is, he seems to be especially harsh toward Joseph. Let's not kill him. Let's sell him. Now, we want to be done with him. We want to get rid of him. We don't want him to come back home, but we'll actually profit from this. We'll sell him into slavery. So he's especially harsh. Let's sell him. Let's, let's sell him into slavery. We'll not kill him. Judah seems to be the ringleader of this. Verse 27. It came about a time, one wrong chapter, come and let us sell him to the Ishmaelites and not lay our hands on him. For he is our brother, our own flesh. And his brothers listened to him. Verse 28. Then some Midianite traders passed by, so they pulled him up and lifted Joseph out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for 20 shekels of silver. Thus they brought Joseph into Egypt. Let me read 29. Now Reuben returned to the pit. He thinks they're going with the first plan. And behold, Joseph was not in the pit. So he tore his garments. Verse 30. He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? He comes. He thinks we're going with the first plan. He gets there. He's not in the pit. And so now he tears his clothes. And really his issue is what is he going to tell their dad? He's going to be responsible. He's going to be accountable. The son, the, the, the youngest favored son is missing. And so he's going to have to give an answer. What am I going to do? Where am I go, going to go? What answer will I give? He returned to his brothers and said, The boy is not there. As for me, where am I to go? Verse 31. So they took Joseph's tunic and slaughtered a male goat and dipped the tunic in the blood. And they sent the very colored tunic and brought it to their father and said, We found this. Please examine it to see whether it is your son's tunic or not. Then he examined it and said, It is my son's tunic. A wild beast has devoured him. Joseph has surely been torn to pieces. So Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. Then all his sons and all his daughters arose to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. And he said, Surely I will go down to Sheol, the place of death, in mourning for my son. I'll never get over this. So his father wept for him. Verse 36, Meanwhile the Midianites sold him in Egypt to Potiphar, Pharaoh's officer, the captain of the guard. All right, the chapter ends, verse 36 ends, Jacob thinks his son is dead. The multicolored coat comes back. He must have been torn to pieces by an animal. He believes his son is dead. Joseph is in Egypt. He's been sold. He's now in Potiphar's household. He's been sold into Egypt. Now, I want to stop right there for a second, and I want you to start thinking about this. What if this were the end of the account? What if the picture were taken right here at this event? What if you're riding on a train and all these things happen and the brothers sell him and they go here and they go home and they fake his death? 
What if the train were to stop right here? What if this were the end? And you're to ask the questions right here. What is God doing? What if you were to say, where is God? What, what if you were to say, what could God have done right here? Now I want you to think about that for a second. If you were Jacob, and that's how this stopped, this is where we ended it, this is where we asked those questions, Jacob might say, well, God's taken my son. God didn't protect my son. He's dead. He's not alive any longer, and I don't know what's brought this on. He could have been bitter toward God. Joseph is now in Egypt. He's a slave. He could say, well, where's God now? I didn't deserve this. I had a dream, and I just told it like it was. How am I here? Why didn't God stop this? Is there even a God? If we stop the picture here, can you imagine the answers they might give? All right? We're going to get back to going. Moving over to chapter 39. Now, Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Uh, this is one of Pharaoh's close officers. This is a high-ranking officer. Potiphar buys Joseph from the Ishmaelites. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, there's a, there's a phrase there that I stopped. We're going to see it two more times in just this chapter. It says, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. It literally translates in, the, in Hebrew, in the original language, Jehovah in his hand. That's what it translates. Jehovah in his hand. The Lord is with him. He is in his hand. God is with him. That's what the verse says. God is with him. He's in God's hand. In the account we see right here, Joseph climbs to the top. He is a slave, but he rises to being a trusted slave, a valued slave. The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man. And he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Verse 3. Now his master saw that the Lord was with him and how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer over his house. And all that he owned he put in his charge. He sees that God is with him. He sees that God blesses him. And so it's smart to just say, you know what, I'll put him in charge of my stuff. Everything goes right for him. God is with him. God is blessing him. And so you know what, I'm going to trust him. I'm going to rely on him. I'll put everything in his charge. Now the result of that starts in verse 5. It came about that from that time he made him an overseer in his house and over all that he owned. The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. So he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge. And with him he did not concern himself with anything except the food which he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. All right, to this point, God's hand is with him. God blesses him. 
Potiphar's smart, says, well, okay, I'll put you in charge of everything. So now everything of Potiphar's is blessed. His land, his household, his crops. He is blessed because of Joseph. I think it's interesting. Potiphar decides, I'm not going to worry about anything except what I eat. I like that. I'm just going to worry about what's for supper. That's what he decides. All right, moving on. It came about after these events that his master's wife, Potiphar's wife, looked with desire at Joseph. And she said, lie with me, verse 8. But he refused and said to his master's wife, look, behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he's put me all, he has put all the, that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do this great evil and sin against God? Joseph does the right thing. Notice that. Joseph does the honorable thing. He has integrity. See this for just a second. Think about this for just a second. They see that God is with him. They see the God that he follows. They see he follows God. Let me ask you a question. What if his actions did not match that? Now think about that. The slaves are all watching. The household's all watching. The relatives are all watching. Potiphar is watching. The wife is watching. What if we see God is with him? We see he follows God. What if his actions did not match? Here's the deal. And this, listen, this is for us tonight. What you do always matters as a follower of Jesus Christ. What you do always matters. Here's the deal. You are carrying God's honor. Well, what if I lie? What if I cheat? What if I, what you say, how you respond, how you treat people, what you do always matters. You know what? They see God is with him. They see who the God that he follows, who he follows. He is carrying God's honor, and so how he, matter, how he responds matters. What if he just said, you know what? No one's going to see this. I'm a slave here. I didn't deserve this. Everybody's out in the field anyway. He responds in integrity. What you do always matters. How then can I do this great evil and sin against God? Verse 10. As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or be with her. Right? Verse 10 is a fast verse. The lure is continual. The offer is continual. The temptation is continual. Here, here's what I want you to see about verse 10. Verse 10, if you're, if you're moving quickly, you might miss this. There's an offer there to compromise. Notice she says, lie with me. Now she says, lie beside me. And so you know what? Just come lie beside me. We're not going to have to do that. Just, just, just do this. Just come on in and, and, and lie down beside me. She offers him a place of compromise. Well, you know what? I won't do that, but maybe I'll do that. 
You know what? He sees the line is clear and he refuses and says, I'm not going to do that and I'm not going to do that. And he does not compromise. Now it happened one day when he went into the house to do his work and none of the men of the household was there inside. She caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. When she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and fled outside, she called to the men of her household and said to them, see, he has brought us in a Hebrew to make a sport of us. He came in to, to me to lie with me and I screamed. I want, to, I want to point out something here. We're going to keep moving. It is a small thing, and it is a quick thing, but I want you to notice this. He will not compromise, so she decides she's going to do this other thing. She is trying to stir up trouble. That's what we know. She's trying to stir up hatred. She's trying to cause to force an issue. Notice here, she's trying to get people on her side. It's very fast, but I, I want you to see it. Notice so she turns to racism. Do you notice that? This Hebrew, they're Egyptians. This Hebrew, why does she have to say that? She wasn't worried about that earlier, but now she's trying to start trouble, and so she stirs up racism. Here's this Hebrew, and he's here to make sport of us as Egyptians. She brings in, trying to escalate the things, she brings in racism. Some things never change. All right, verse 15. When he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. I think it's worth saying, also when she decides to seek retribution, she has to destroy him. She's going to slander him. She's going to destroy him. So she, left his, so she left his garment beside her until his master came home. Then she spoke to him with these words, the Hebrew slave whom you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. All right, here's the progression. He will not compromise. She falsely accuses him. She tries to get everybody to buy into it. She tries to get everybody stirred up. Potiphar comes home, and I want you to notice this. Dealing with Potiphar, she begins to assault his pride. She needs him to be angry. She needs him to take her side. And so she starts to say, you're the one that trusted him. You're the one that brought him into our house. You're the one that put this plan together. You're the one that's dumb, that couldn't understand this. And she really is saying, this is your fault. And so you know what? He has to get mad. This is your fault, Potiphar. You're the one that did all this, trying to incite his anger as well. All right, verse 19. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him saying, this is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. Verse 20. So Joseph's master, Potiphar, took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined and he was there in the jail. Pharaoh had a jail. It was for people that offended him or people that he, ascended, or that he assigned jail time to. And so he's put in the king's jail. He's put in Pharaoh's jail. He is in the jail is how verse 20 ends. 
Verse 21. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the chief jailer. Same words right there. Jehovah in his hand. It's the same word where the, where the, where the chapter started. It says this, God was with him. He was in God's hand. So he's in jail, but you know what? He's successful there. He rises to the top as well. Verse 22, the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. He's over the entire jail. The chief jailer did not supervise anything. That's trust under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him and whatever he did, the Lord made to prosper. God is with him. He's in jail. He, he, he takes the position as the head of the jail, overseeing the entire jail. All right, here's a couple of questions. That's where we're going to end our, our verses tonight. Here's a couple of questions. And I, I thought about this. It says Joseph is righteous. He does the right thing. Here's my question. Was Joseph righteous so God blessed him? Or did God bless him so he was righteous? And I, I think there's folks that would say on either side of that, that that this is where they land. You know what? His hand was on him. He didn't have a choice. This is what he had to do. So he's righteous because God's got him, and he has no choice but to be righteous. Or there's others that say, well, he was righteous, and he had a choice, and he could have not been righteous, but he was righteous. And because God was, he was righteous, God blessed him. And so I started to think about that. Was Joseph righteous so God blessed him, or was God, God blessed him and so he was righteous? Here's, here's where I landed on that. I think probably both of those things. And I think both of those things probably fed the other thing, probably encouraged the other thing. Now, what I, what I mean by that is this. God couldn't use him if he wasn't righteous, and so he is righteous, and so God's able to use him. But when he is righteous, God blesses him. And when Joseph sees that he's blessed of God, his desire is to honor God all the more, to be more righteous. And so I think both of those things are probably feeding the other one. He is righteous. He has a choice. Day after day, she offered him a chance to fall into temptation. And because he's righteous, God blesses him. And I think those two things escalate and, and build the character that, that Joseph shows us. We're going to stop right there with the verses, but I want you to think about this again before we head into to next week. Again, what if we stopped right there? What if the, the picture ended right there? The train stops, the picture ends, and we stop right there. What if you came on that day and you asked, what is God doing? Where is God? What if you came on this day and you asked Joseph, what's God doing? He might say, well, he's blessing me. Well, he's made me the head of Potiphar's house, and now he's made me the head of the jail. He might say that, or he might say, I'm a slave. I was a slave at Potiphar's house, and now I'm a slave in jail. God's forgotten me. He might have said that. What, what if you were to ask Jacob, 
on this day. We stopped the picture right there. What's God doing? Well, he'd say, well, it's been years now. I haven't seen my son in years. He's gone, and I don't know how God has forsaken me. Or he might have said, you know what? God's in control, and I trust him anyway. What would he have said? Here's an interesting question. What would the brothers have said if you found them on this day? So what do you think of God? Where's he at today? They might have said, well, he's not involved. He doesn't see everything because we got away with this. He's not worried about the guilty or the innocent. What if you ask the brothers? Isn't it interesting an incomplete picture results in an incomplete conclusion? In both of these places, if you stop right there, you might have some issues because you're not able to see the full picture. It ends like, it ends like this today. Joseph is obedient. And it matters. It absolutely matters. He carries the name of God, and it matters. God is able to use him, and it matters. And the plan of God moves forward. We're going to see how that plays out. The plan of God moves forward. He is obedient. He is righteous, honoring God, and it absolutely matters. I'm going to ask if you'll stand, please. Let's pray. Dear Father, we come tonight and we are thankful for your word. We're thankful that you teach us tonight. Uh, maybe some things that are hard, maybe some things that are, are tough to consider, uh, that you haven't left us without a witness to your truth, your word. I pray that we grow tonight. And I pray that maybe tonight as we, as we are here, that we are understanding that you are trustworthy. And maybe we're not understanding the things that we've gone through, the things that are happening, but that you are infinite in wisdom and gracious and kind and powerful and worthy of, of all honor and praise. You're faithful and you're trustworthy. And I pray that that's what we're seeing and that's what we come to know. I, Lord, I come and I pray tonight for a messed up world, a world that's, that's suffering, that's hurting, that's literally spinning out of control. Lord, I, I come and I see all that and then I, I see all the responses and I know that there's only one response and that's our Savior, Jesus. And so I pray we wouldn't be distracted, we wouldn't be pulled into fights and arguments, we wouldn't run in fear, we wouldn't hide, but that we would proclaim the truth that does save, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray for those families that are hurting that they would find your peace. And I pray as they wonder what's going on that their eyes will be lifted up to Christ and that people will be saved in eternity from the events of, of, of all of these things. And I pray, Lord, that we would be ambassadors of the good news, that we would be people that try to lead people to Christ, to be reconciled to the righteousness of Jesus. And I pray that that peace would consume us. Lord, we come and I pray as, as we leave here today, that we'd be again ready to come back and study, that we would go home and we would continue to study, that we would be closer to you after this day than we were when it started. And I pray the fruit of all of that is that you would be known and you'd be glorified. And I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Glad you're here. You're dismissed.